0: This morning, our Easter sermon is from Acts 2 22 38, and I'm not going to deal a whole lot with this passage of Scripture, but I want to sort of use it as the backdrop of our thinking this morning and your encouragement this morning on Easter as we think about the resurrection. The challenge, of course, you know, is. Easter is every year, and the challenge is how you say something new or different or in an interesting light so that you are not all bored to tears. Now, in some way, it's okay that we talk about Christ, the birth of Christ every Christmas, and it doesn't have to be flashy new. And it's okay that we talk about the resurrection of Christ every year at the time of Easter, and it doesn't have to be flashy new. However, I'm the type of person that I, I just I want us to see many a verse of scripture that we don't often associate with Easter. Acts two and twenty two, ending in verse thirty eight, ends actually on a statement about baptism. <clears throat> this is, for all intents and purposes, uh, the first sermon given for the New Testament church. And it was given by Peter the Apostle on the day of Pentecost. And this is what he says Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified. And killed by the hands of lawless men, God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it wasn't possible for him to be held by death, that is. David, King David, says concerning him, the Messiah Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me, for He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One, Messiah, see corruption or decompose in the grave. That's what that means. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence, about the patriarch David, that he both died die and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. In other words, David in all of his glory didn't rise from the dead. Being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he, David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades or the grave, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him the Lord of Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptize every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the promise This promise of hope, this promise of resurrection hope, this promise of the gospel and eternal life is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Father, this Easter morning we thank you for Christ the Lord who is risen today for His victory over the brave, His victory over death, that His Lordship over all the cosmos is a result of His conquering consequence of our sin, which is death. Bless us now this Easter morning to leave this place transformed. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. On November 13, 2003 we got a call from my brother's wife that um, he had stopped breathing and wasn't moving. Uh, She was hysterical, naturally, and I remember racing up to my brother's home to find that the paramedics were wheeling out his motionless body from his house onto an ambulance. And at the emergency room, the whole family showed up, and a lot of friends from church showed up. And the doctor announced to us all a few minutes later that my brother was dead. I entered the room where his body was, and you know, in emergency rooms, it wasn't a room, it was just a gurney with a, you know, was a very close friend and there we were the three of us standing over my brother's lifeless body he was only 38 years old I was 29 at the time and um, the deacon who was with us and was a close friend who was sort of the most charismatic of the bunch began to pray for my brother to come back to life it's understandable, right? Um, and I closed my eyes, but I could not participate in that prayer because I knew my brother was gone. It was sort of a finality about My brother wasn't coming back. He was. He was gone from us. In the almost twenty years since my brother died, I wrestled many times with that prayer bring my brother back to life and I've thought many times to myself why don't the faith-filled prayers of believers in Jesus bring people back from the dead I mean maybe it's happened in the 2,000 years since the resurrection there are certainly stories but clearly it's not the norm and I would guess that it's never happened to anyone in here hasn't happened recently or it would make world news. I'm not talking about someone who would flatlined for a moment and they came back. I mean someone who was good in it. Why are we not able to do things like that when we have faith in the risen Lord? <laughs> After all, Jesus did say to his disciples, greater works will you do. You see the works that I do you'll do greater works than these. The passage specifically says, whoever believes in me will do the works that I am doing. He will do even greater things than these. And I thought to myself, you know, I mean, if we could channel the power of God by praying over those who have died and bring them back to life, wouldn't that be an incredible evangelistic tool and shut the mouths of every skeptic and unbeliever and make them come running to Jesus. Seems like a logical thought, right? If Christians were able to channel that resurrection power over the dead, you'd think that it would be a massive evangelistic tool the whole world would convert powerful would that be? The world would fall over itself and believe and come running to Jesus and repent. Or would they?
1: In the Gospels, there is a moment where Jesus
0: turns to the crowds that have been following him and says something really telling. He says, you've come looking for me. you saw God in my actions, but because I fed you and I filled your stomachs for free. Jesus fed the crowds with miracles of the fishes and the loaves. And at some point, Jesus himself recognizes that the crowds are not following him because they recognize in him the supernatural power of God that marks him out as different they just want free lunch. The multitudes just wanted to free me. And at some point, Jesus calls them out on it. Later he told the Pharisees: it's only a wicked generation that requires a sign and a wonder and a miracle to believe. They said, Show us a sign perform one for us, and maybe we'll believe. <laughs> Jesus calls them out and says, a wicked and perverse generation needs a son, Needs a miracle. To believe. And so the answer to my question as to whether bringing people back to life could be an effective evangelistic tool is no. Not really. Not really. For starters, it would probably make the people who brought the dead back to life think that they were God. And we've got so many sort of, you know, demigod false prophets in the world, people who create a following, and they believe their own press reports, and then they start to be say that they're Jesus. If you look it up right now, don't do it right now, but if you go home and Google sort of like modern-day messiahs, there's dozens of them. They're all over the world. And they're not doing things like raising people from the dead. And people are worshiping them, and they're receiving worship. Can you imagine what it would be like if they were actually able, through faith in Christ and a prayer, to raise somebody from the dead? Or they'd be like the prosperity preachers, and they monetize it. we charge people coming through the door, and for every resurrection, you know, people would what would people pay? Hand, right? I, I would have paid anything for my brother. I would have given him my left arm. But I look back and wonder if answering that deacon's prayer and raising my brother from the dead would have actually damaged my faith. After all, God never promises that we won't see death. Or he never promises that if anyone dies before a ripe old age, if their believing friends have enough faith, they can pray them back to life. No. What he says is that the resurrection is something that will happen at a future point in history for all human beings. Some will experience a resurrection to life and some will experience a resurrection to eternal punishment. It is a point in the future. Now, what made Jesus' resurrection so magnificent, so amazing, was that not that people didn't believe resurrection would one day happen at the end of history, but that someone in the middle of history rose, not to die again at the end of their life, like Lazarus and other people, but rose from the dead, who was good and dead. I'm not talking about, you know, a book. You know, here's the book I wrote 20 Seconds in Heaven, because they flatlined for an arrow second. I'm talking about someone who was really dead, good and dead, wrapped in grave clothes, buried in a tomb, verified to be dead. Several days had passed. In the middle of history, before the resurrection of all people. 24 15, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. John 6 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son, who believes in him, should have eternal life. And I, Jesus says, will raise him up from the grave on the last day. Isaiah 26. 19, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light. And the earth will give birth to the dead. Close your eyes for a moment, every one of you in this place, and think about someone who's dying. Someone you love. Someone you miss. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus. Not through cryogenic freezing or some medical technological advancement. But through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Which for those of you who are unfamiliar, is a fancy way of saying those who. the Lord himself, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, the Lord himself would ascend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. The dead in Christ will rise. Romans 6, 5, for we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly united with him in a resurrection like his. 2 Corinthians 4.14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. 1 Peter 3.21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. and Finally, Romans 8.19 says, The creation itself is waiting for the resurrection. For it waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, and we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly, along with creation, as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, which is a reference to the resurrection. There are three things through all those verses that I hope you saw, three things. The resurrection will be a universal event at the end of history. Universal event at the end of history. Everyone will be raised, some to everlasting life, some to everlasting punishment. Secondly, Baptism is an appeal to God on the basis of Christ's resurrection. I wove that in because of our baptisms this morning, because it has everything to do with the resurrection. And third, the resurrection will usher in a new creation. It will literally renew the cosmos. Creation is groaning, waiting for the resurrection, because the creation itself, the cosmos itself, everything right now, is just in a state of entropy. Stars and supernovas getting ready to explode will be reversed and renewed. At the resurrection. Which means the farthest galaxy, burning balls of gas, gas acid planets, and places that we can't even see or fathom right now in a state of decay and dying, but they will be renewed in the resurrection. The cosmos itself, the creation itself, will be renewed. At the resurrection. All on the strength of Jesus' victory over death. Resurrection will destroy death once and for all. As Paul says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. It's an enemy, isn't it? I promise you, as you get to a certain age, all you think about is death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. I've had dreams of my brother since he died. Not many, but just a couple. One, we were sitting around the table, my brother was there smiling, he didn't speak. And I started to cry, thinking, how are you here? You're supposed to be dead. And he sat there, smiling, we were eating meal. And the dream seemed so real, it was so powerful. That was many years ago. And when I've had dreams like that, I've wondered to myself at times, what does he know of my life? Does my really brother know anything of my life? Does God communicate anything to him about his family, my brother left behind a wife and son? His son, my nephew, who's now a sailor in the Navy. Does he know anything? Ecclesiastes says the dead know nothing. Are those who await the resurrection we might want to know conscious at all? Or do their souls sleep until they be raised? Some say that Paul's statement to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord means that we are conscious. Conscious, But to be present with the Lord could mean that our souls are kept safe in God's care until they awake at the resurrection. It's a hotly debated topic. I'm not taking a position on it. John Calvin, his first theological work was called the Psychopanacea. He was refuting the idea of soul sleep, defending the idea that when a person dies, they are fully conscious and awake. To be honest with you, I don't know who's right on this, because the Bible is not totally clear on this detail. Death for the righteous could be sort of like anesthesia. But there is no temporal gap between the time you die and the time you were raised from the dead. If you've ever had a procedure, you've up from anesthesia and the first thing you told the doctor is, When are we going to do this? The doctor says, It's done. Because you don't remember falling asleep and you don't remember being asleep. You wake up and there is no temporal gap between the time you fell asleep and the time you woke up. We possibly would fall asleep to death and wake up in a million years of the resurrection like it was five seconds. But I get why many people may not like that idea. I think it's a cosmic form. Fear of missing out. When Jesus says to the thief on the cross, this day you will be with me in paradise, we know where Jesus was that day. He was in the grave. So some until he came out of the tomb. There are mysteries. There are abstractions and uncertainties. I think it is far less important to know exactly what happens in the intermediate state from the time we die to the resurrection, and it is far more important to have hope in the certainty that our bodies will not lie in the grave forever but be raised up and brought out of the grave. The hope of the early church, the confidence of the early church, the belief of the early church was that the bodily resurrection was necessary for us to be whole. Whatever level of consciousness we have or don't have as we await the resurrection, we are not whole unless our bodies are raised and transformed the resurrection. So what does this all mean for us, for our lives? What does it mean for our living? What does it mean for you? It means that we can live courageously statement at the end of John Donne's poem. One short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. Father, thank you for the hope of the resurrection, which we celebrate on this Easter morning confidence which we have and which we need to have, as each one of us face down our own mortality, our own weakness and frailty, our own physical weakness, our confidence, our hope is in your resurrection from the dead O Jesus. Resurrection, you will bring with you all those who profess faith, hope, and trust.